<laughs> Today's reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul, of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Zulai. Thank you, David, for uh, coming in and doing, uh, put this here, uh, coming and giving us part of your life. Uh, that whole time, was I the only one who wanted to just yell out, like, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Gosh, being a jack, that's cool. This is my stool, it's for holding, I don't sit on it, it's just for holding my Bible, but it's really helpful. Um, so, uh, good morning. My name's Trey, uh, if you don't know me, I'm the student director here, I get to hang out with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, and I just wanna give a quick shout out. Yesterday, uh, one of the boys in our, in our uh, crew, he's got a bum back, but he went up and he just qualified for regionals in gymnastics yesterday. So, Eddie, well done, brother. Yeah, I got to see him do, he's, yeah. So cool. I, I want to see like the parents go out and try and do it because man, they like, they do these like cool things on the rings. It'd be hilarious to see like me go out there or something, and then just, I'd fall. Anyway, uh, today we're going into the third week of a seven-week series called Countercultural Convictions. The first week we went through love. Last week we went through Jesus over Jesus, and this week we're going over the Bible. And I'm very excited. I love the Bible, and I'm. Really excited to get to be a part of what God might do um, in us today. Before we get started, though, I really, I just want to pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, help me get out of the way so that you might move. Uh, I pray that all my words would be your words, um, and I pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this book, the Bible... Uh, to some of us, is just a copy. To some people in the world, it's just a, like a book that's sold the most copies of any other book. But to others of us, this book is like the wellspring of life. But God's word matters. God's word matters. And it, does, it, does, it hasn't just mattered today, and it didn't just matter a long time ago, but the Bible actually starts by saying, in the beginning, God... So real quick, it gives who the subject of the Bible is. It didn't, it didn't have your name or my name. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God creates. And what's really cool is the way he creates is with his word. Out of nothing. He said, and God said, let there be light. So from his word, he created. God's word creates. And it creates life. But that's not the only thing that God's word does. Uh, God also gave his word to instruct. God's word instructs, and his instruction leads to life. God told Adam, fill the earth and subdue it. He also told, be fruitful and multiply. Well, be fruitful and multiply. Make more life. Make babies. We do that well in our church, too. But he also told him to fill the earth and subdue it. Help, help the earth to bring more life. So God's word creates and it leads to life. And God's word also instructs, and that leads to life. And God's word is doing the same thing today. God's spirit uses his word 
to create in us new hearts. And he uses his word to instruct us in the way of life. God's word mattered in the beginning, it matters today, and it's gonna matter forever. God's word is never outdated. It has power, it has authority, it has clout. Adam and Eve were given God's word, and I'd like to read a little bit of that. Um, If you have your Bibles, it'll be on the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, uh, and we'll start in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gives a little bit more direction in chapter 2, verse 16. One, one flip to the right. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God's word was given and instructed to life. But with God's word being given, someone else's word was given as well. But it was a lie. And it led to death. Uh, in Genesis 3, it starts off with this account of Satan speaking with Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The lie was, there's something better. There's something better than what God gave you. And it implied Satan is implying that God's holding out on you. We believe that sometimes, don't we? We believe that lie. I I know I have in my life. That's Satan's bread and butter lie. He builds all the other lies that we believe based on God's holding out on you. Well, we know that Adam and Eve believed that lie and they ate the fruit. And since that moment, people have struggled with authority. So we're talking about the Bible. There's like endless conversations we could have. And I'd love to have those conversations. Maybe talk about the canon or we could talk about how it was made, put together the Council of Nicaea, hermeneutics, all of that fun. But today we just have two hours. So we're going to talk about, (laughs) right? Oh, (laughs) we're going to talk about the authority of God's word because all those other conversations fall underneath if we can have first to have this conversation of the authority of God's word. When I say submit to authority, how does that make us feel? Submit to authority. Makes our skin crawl, a lot of us. Sounds oppressive, doesn't it? There's two main reasons that scripture gives for why we believe or why we struggle with authority. And the first is pride, and the second is distrust. Both are products of sin. Pride says, I want the power, and distrust says, I don't want you to have the power. Again, products of sin. So Adam and Eve believed the lie that there was something better. They wanted the power of the knowledge of good and evil, and they didn't trust God's authority anymore. They thought that they could have something better, so they didn't want God to have the authority. Later in Genesis 3, uh, we have the uh, account of the curse. 
what, what now the world is going to be because sin has entered the world. God is speaking to Eve, what we're going to talk about. He's speaking to Eve, but he's, he's not just talking about Eve's heart. He's, he's also, there's, he's alluding to how the human heart will function. And he talks and he alludes to pride and distrust. He says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. Now, reading that in English, and in the, it's like, doesn't do it justice. What, he, what God is saying to Eve is, your desire will be for your husband's position. Pride, I want the power. And then he also says, yet he will rule over you. Ooh, I don't trust that. I don't want you to have the power. So now God alludes to the heart of, the human, of humankind. Pride, I don't want you, I want the power. And distrust, I don't want you to have the power. With this though, it's not just the relationship between man and woman that we see this, this happening. It's, it's with everything. I mean, and the low-hanging fruit that I could grab from is, is the law, right? We have pride says, I want to drive how fast I want to drive. And my distrust says, I don't want you to tell me how fast I can or can't drive. I know it's best for me. I know it's best for me. When I get off of work, I need to get home quick so I can put my feet up, okay? I know what's best for me. We want the authority because we, we believe that in our power to make things better. We trust our own power to make things better. We trust ourselves. We don't trust others. And sometimes we don't want to live under other authorities. And we may not want to. We may want to resist authorities, but we still live under some of them. These authorities determine what is right and wrong, uh, what we are allowed to do, like the government. Don't commit fraud. I can do that. Don't commit fraud. That's a rule that we live under. Pay your taxes. Right? There's, we all know the two things that you can't get out of in life. Death and taxes. Pay your taxes. So we do live under authority of government. Okay. We also live under some unwritten authorities like culture. If you want to be professional, dress professionally. If you understand culture, you understand, hey, if you want to be seen professional, you dress professionally. Culture says if you want friends, use deodorant. <laughs> I can get on board with that. There's some cultures that don't use deodorant. But we all live under authorities. And what happens when these authorities disagree? We start to see which authority actually supersedes the others when they disagree. That's why we need a supreme court. Because when a dispute can't be resolved at one level, it goes to the next and to the next and to the next until it gets to the supreme court, which is the ultimate U.S. judiciary uh, court. And then when they say something is right or wrong, all the other courts have to abide under, underneath that. They have to live underneath that. If, if the Supreme Court says something is true or, or this is right, everybody else has to live under that. Where does our authority go with all these other competing authorities? Well, most of us would say we, we are. I, I am the supreme authority. I decide what I eat. I decide what career I want. I decide who to love. I decide what is right and what is wrong. I decide what's true for me. I decide which other authorities to sit under, so I'm the guy. I'm the boss. I'm the big cheese. That's what we like to say. We name ourselves the Colossus of Clout. It's a uh, baseball reference. I don't know if that's happened in our church yet. It's normally a hockey reference. (laughs) But we trust our own rule more than we should. Proverbs 16.25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end 
is the way to death. My uh, family has a rule that we're not supposed to bring up black licorice. It sounds funny, but if we bring up black licorice, my father-in-law will preach a total soapbox mini-sermon about how there's no such thing as black licorice. It's just licorice. Everything else is red vines and Twizzlers. And so we've learned, over. don't bring up black licorice. I make sure, he, he was in the first service so I can say this, but I make sure I tell him often though that I do love my black licorice. Um, but we may not all be preachers, but we all preach. We all give messages, we proclaim messages with authority. And a lot of times when we give those messages though, it's not God's message and it's not God's authority. We may not all be preachers, but we all preach. You ever hear somebody preach about sports? Oh, I hear it all the time. Man, that, Ky- that Kyler Murray just got to throw some more Hail Larrys, man. That'll get him next year. I've heard that. Or how about some people who preach about hockey as a relevant sport? <laughs> how about when people preach about their, the place that they uh, work out at? No, this is the best place to get fit, right? Orange Theory. No, 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 bar. No, bar three. There's some more bars, but I don't know all of them. Or how about spin? That's really going to get you where you need to go. Do spin. Or yoga. No, hot yoga. Don't even get me started about those CrossFit people, man. They preach about, what are they? We may not all be preachers, but we all preach. And I think the reason that we preach the things that we do is because we believe them and that they're important to us. That's why I preach that pineapple belongs on pizza. Come on. Can I get an Amen. Yes, yes. My wife does not believe that at all. (laughs) But I would argue whatever message that you're preaching reveals which authority that you recognize and live under. Whichever one of those messages, whichever one of those things that we're preaching, it shows which which, uh, authorities we recognize. You ever heard speed limits are just a suggestion? Yeah, I know which authority you're recognizing. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. They're recognizing culture, right? How about this one? We all know which authority this one is. Don't tread on me. We've heard that multiple times. I go to breakfast a lot with my wife. We love breakfast. And I, and I, I preach this, when I'm on our breakfast mornings, I preach this, this uh, nice little mini sermon. I just want to be cozy. So I wear my like sweatpants and my beat up GCU t-shirt. I went to Grand Canyon. And my, my old ball cap. And I get some judgy looks when I walk into breakfast, but I just, I just want to be cozy. How about this one? Uh, I've heard it, I heard it with Obama. I'll, I heard it with Trump, and I'll hear it again next year, whoever's uh, uh, voted into office. Not my president. We've heard that. People, people will just tell you which authorities that they recognize. Whether we recognize authorities or not, though, does not change that they have authority. It doesn't change that we live under those authorities. Ever get a speeding ticket? It's just a suggestion until it isn't. Uh, When I choose to break the unwritten law of the fashion police, I have to deal with the judgy looks. I should probably stop having breakfast at the Henry. Sweatpants don't work well there. If doctors go outside their scope of practice, which is the authority over their, their uh, practice, they lose their practice, right? I'm a paramedic. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm a paramedic. 
um, and I have a scope of practice. I can give an IV and I can give some medications and I can splint a bone, but I can't do surgery on you. If I did, if I tried to, or if I did do surgery on you, I would lose my paramedic patch. I have to recognize the authorities over me. And if I don't, that authority will prove to be the authority. See, when we, whether we recognize authorities or not, the true superseding authorities will at some point prove to be the authority. I think you see where I'm going here. God's, God's word is the ultimate authority. Since God is the true ultimate authority, what he says about him and his word is ultimate. If you have your Bibles, go from the first page of Genesis all the way over to Hebrews. Um, it's towards the back. Um, after Philemon, before James. If you hit James, you've gone too far. If you've hit Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Hebrews 4.12 is where we're going to be. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Spirit of God authored and put together the Bible. And he's the one who's making it alive and active today. It's not inactive, and it's not not alive, just double negative. It is alive, and it is active, because God's word is currently used, or God's spirit is currently using God's word to do that, okay? So it's, that's one of those, again, I can't say this enough, God's word matters just as much today as it did in the beginning, and it always will, because God's life, or God's word creates life, and God's word instructs to life. And this is good. We should, we should totally be excited about this. But also, it goes down. It's God's, God's uh, word is sharper than any two-edged sword. You ever heard that your words can cut? Our words will never cut as deep as God's words. That is to say that God's word is greater than human word. The Greek word used there um, is logos, the same word that Frank talked about last week. And that word can be used to describe different things, but it's translated directly as, as word, but uh, it can also be like translated in English as a saying or giving an account or truth, Christ. Uh, this one's specifically referring to all the things that God has said. So, in other words, the whole Bible is living and active. The whole Bible, not just bits and pieces of it. It means it's never outdated. God's word, is found, God's word is not found in the Bible. God's word is the Bible. That's what Tom Schrader, one of the founding pastors here, used to say a lot. You ever eat trail mix? Some people love trail mix. I like trail mix. But God's word is not like trail mix. You can't pick out the raisins and only eat the M&Ms. You gotta take the whole thing. See, the whole Bible is greater than human word. The whole Bible carries God's clout. The Colossus of clout. It carries God's clout. The Bible is the supreme, ultimate authority, and this is good. God has given us his word, and it leads to life. This is why at Redemption, we proclaim God's word with authority and without apology. We aren't just making this stuff up. This is important to say for this series, though, because if you're coming for the next couple weeks, you're going to hear some disagreements between human word and God's word. 
This big idea, though, it calls us to something. Recognize God's authority by submitting to God's word. That's what this calls us to. This means not being idle with God's instruction. Jesus says, he who hears what I say and does it is like the man who builds his house on the rock. So don't just, just know it, but, but do it. Don't be idle with God's instruction. Submit to God's word and it will, it will bring life. Whether we recognize it or not, though, we're also going to have to give account to God. It says that at the end. I love that last verse. It's heavy. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If that's not a verse that says that God's over all and that we're all going to have to give account, I don't, I don't know what verse is. But uh, Romans 8.1 does say that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we will still have to give an account of our life. We need to know that. So we accept the whole Bible and we live under it. Um, and that, that's because we, we were designed to do that. We were designed to live in that way. See, the best life is to live the life the way you were designed to live. So I, don't, I have a truck and I don't put water in my gas tank. Right? That's not the way it was designed to work. I mean, but it's convenient. I got a hose in my house and I can just put more water, fill up the tank, right? It's cheaper. It just makes sense to me. But, but those qualifications aren't good qualifications for actually what brings life. How ridiculous would it be if I argued with the engineer who made the vehicle, hey, no, 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 put water in it. It's cheaper. It's easier. He, he designed it. He knows how it works best. He knows what brings it the best life. Right? Why do we argue with the engineer about how best to live life? See, God creates and instructs with his word, and it always brings life. The problem is, what is actually best and what brings us life isn't always what we think is best and brings us life. We think we know better, don't we? We think... We think that our, our word is God's word. I know what's best for me. If I drive this car, that'll be better for me. If I have a more enjoyable job, that'll be better for me. If I have a bigger savings account, it'll be better. If I, if I worship when I feel comfortable, that, that will be better for me. If I love people when I'm feeling like it, that'll be better for me. For you to tell me I can't sleep with my girlfriend is for you to hold out on something good for me, okay? I know what's best for me. Or, this marriage just isn't doing it for me. I know something better. We believe the lie that there's something better and that God's holding out on us. He's not. God is good and he's gracious and he wants life for you. A lot of us are cutting off our nose to spite our face. Because when we end up getting what we want, why are we still found wanting? There is something better, though. If we accepted and trust God's word more than our own human word, it would be better. There's hope in that statement, not because I said it, but because God promises it. God promises it. Do we search for, in God's word for what is true? Or do we see if God's word agrees with what we know to be true? You hear what I'm saying? Do we search God's word for what is true? Or do we read scripture 
trying to see if it agrees with what I, what I think to be true. But to in, order, in order to submit to God's word, we have to know God's word. So when I was in middle school, I, uh, I had to memorize the U.S. Constitution. I had all like the amendments. I had to like take a test. I, I couldn't do it right now. Call me a bad American, but I just, I don't have it all memorized anymore. But lawyers know the U.S. Constitution. All of our laws in our nation are built on the foundation of the Constitution. You might say, well, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't need to know the Constitution. Okay? You might also say, I'm not a preacher, so I don't need to know the Bible that well. That's your job. You tell me what I need to know. See, the problem with that is we're all called to practice God's law. And if we're all called to practice God's law, we should all be able to know how to preach his message with his authority. That's coming from here, not from what we think. What if I don't like to read, though? Can't God just, like, open up the heavens and, like, just tell me what he wants me to know, what he wants me to do? That would be easy, right? Why doesn't he just visit me in a dream? He's done that with other people. That'd be so easy, though. Can't I just see a miracle? Then maybe I'll, it'll be like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's, there is a miracle. I saw God's hand in my life. Now I can really get... I have, I think there's a passage in scripture that's really helpful for this. I really love this passage. If you have your Bibles again, I know we're like using God's word to talk about God's word. Um, Luke 16 is where we're going to be. Verses 19 through 31. The words will be up on the screen though if you don't have your Bible. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. He's, this guy's like, like the Bill Gates of the day. He's got it going on. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. If he's desiring to be fed from what falls from the rich man's table, he clearly isn't being loved by his neighbor, by this rich man, right? This rich man's not taking care of his neighbor. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This guy's not even doing as well as the dogs. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, we're starting to see that dichotomy of heaven and hell. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. This guy still isn't even, he's still ignoring Lazarus. He's not talking to Lazarus. Hey, Lazarus, dip your finger. He's yelling to Abraham. This guy still won't even recognize Lazarus. And besides all this, between us, oop, I could skip down. Hold on. I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that uh, those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. 
They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham says to the man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear the Bible, they will not be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. See, God uses his word, his way, and if that's not enough, nothing will be. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Some of us are waiting to see God's hand in our life. We're waiting for that, that miracle to like pull, pull me back. It is right here. The gift is right here. This whole Bible was supernaturally made. The Holy Spirit had written every word, and it was all put together by, by his direction. This is a miracle, and it's a gift to us. That's something that we should celebrate that. He chose to reveal himself in a book with words. God doesn't reveal himself when we reach that level of success. God is not found in status. God is not found in healthy eating or in being physically healthy and looking physically healthy. See, reading and living your Bible will give you a lot more than washboard apps. This book is all you need to know about salvation and holy living. Other books can be helpful, but you don't, you don't need them. I've heard people say, though, the Bible isn't all we need, man. The Bible doesn't even talk about aliens. We gotta know about aliens. You're right. The Bible doesn't talk about aliens or craft beer. But it's not essential to salvation and holy living. If God thought we needed to know that information, he would have given it. Do, do we trust God in his word? Let me close with this. Here are five helpful tips to be a student of God's word, which is a lifelong process. I love mnemonics. Uh, they, that's how I got through uh, my undergrad in biology, and that's how I got in through paramedic school and remembered all these weird names of the bones and stuff. This is called your sternocleidomastoid, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Anyway, um, jolly ranchers don't see right. You might be like, why would you choose that spelling for, yeah, it'll make sense. So jolly ranchers don't see right. First one is Jesus. Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is. See, last week when we went through Jesus, uh, this week, last week was all about Jesus. This week, is as well, is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. The Old Testament could be summarized as Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And the New Testament could be summarized as Jesus came and he's coming again. It is all about Jesus. Don't miss that. We can know the word of God and not know the God of the word. That's another thing that Tom Schrader, one of our founding pastors, used to say. Number two, jolly ranchers, read. Read, nothing special, read it. Read it and God does such cool things. If you read this book cover to cover, you will get the, the essentials. You will know what it takes to just love, to know more about God and, and, and God shows up and does really cool things. You don't have to have your PhD in, in hermeneutics to be able to, to know what the Bible says. Yet it's still complex enough that people can study, study it their whole life and not understand it fully. Second Peter 3.16 even says, as Paul does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Even Peter admits that stuff in scripture is hard to understand. It could be helpful also to know that there's a few 
different ways to read scripture. We, get, we got parts of scripture that are like poetry, like the Psalms. And we have parts of scripture that are like the Gospels, which are written kind of like in a narrative, kind of like a novel. And we can't read poetry and a novel the same all the time. And we don't want to just read the Bible for information. Like we don't want to just know things about the Bible. We want it to transform us and change us too. So we read. But if you don't have a lot of experience in reading your Bible or you would like a, a, a tip, um, let me first say this. We have a meeting every, every Tuesday, the, the pastor team. We get together and we pray over the whole congregation. We also pray for our little connect cards um, over every one of them. And uh, although some of them don't have prayer requests, so then we're like, well, pray for this person. But we do, we, we pray over those together every, every Tuesday morning. And we also plan our Wednesday night classes to, to help what would help our congregation. And in tandem with what we're, we're preaching on, we thought it would be really helpful for some people to do a class on how to read your Bible. It's not a seminary level class. It's a class to give some tools that may, maybe might help you interact with God's word and him better. Uh, but if it would be a shame if I didn't say anything about, like, so I'll give you one thing that might be helpful for you. Uh, in Joshua 1, uh, God is kind of prescribing how to use his word as they go into the promised land to the Israelites. And uh, in Josh, Joshua 1, it says this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. People much smarter than me have said this, but originally it was God's idea. Read your Bible until you learn something and then think about it all day. Number three, Jolly Ranchers don't. Delight. Delight. We should delight in God's word. It brings life. We should, we should delight in it. And if we don't delight in it, it's always going to be a chore to get into the word. Netflix will always win out. If we get home and we're tired and we just want to check off, if we delight in Netflix more, we're always going to, we might not always, but most of the time we're going to flip on Netflix instead of spending some time in God's word. And it's difficult to rejoice in the Lord when we don't delight in his word. Psalm 119 is really great for this point. Uh, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of it. I want you to look, look for the verbiage that, that talks about desiring God's law. Psalm 119, 17 through 20. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. There's a lot in there about desiring God's law and his word. And most people think that this is David. We don't know for sure, but it's a psalmist for sure. And David wrote most of the psalms. But it doesn't say in the beginning exactly who wrote it. But a lot of people think it was David. But he definitely trusts that God's word is more powerful than human word. He's longing for God's word instead of his own word. A lot of people who, who read Psalm 119 probably are doing the, the chapter a day keeps the devil away. But in Psalm 118, it's the longest chapter. And a lot of people breeze through it and they miss this. They see, oh man, there's a lot of verbiage about desiring God's law. There's one verbiage that's even more prevalent. The eyes and the use. See, this psalmist is interacting with God and he's using God's word to interact with him and he's asking for God to help him understand God's word and to delight in it. He even says, he even says open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes, God. He's praying and he's asking God to give him delight. 
See, we should read the Bible, we should study the Bible, and we should pray the Bible. We should pray the Bible as well. We should also pray for God to help us understand and delight in it. Um, Number four, jolly ranchers don't see the spirit. Fourth is spirit. Uh, Without the Holy Spirit, it's pointless. Through the spirit, the Bible was written, it was put together, and it's understood. So John 16 tells us uh, about what the Holy Spirit, what his jobs are. Um, and, and he says this, it says this in John 16, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The spirit has three jobs to convict, to lead in the truth and to glorify the name of Jesus. Convict is kind of a, a heavy one, right? Because it's uncomfortable. But God shows us where the Bible needs to be applied, right? It's not just reading the Bible to know things about it, but reading the Bible that we might be changed. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's kind of like he wounds us well. It's like a good, it's like a good wound. Um, and it leads us in the truth. So when we don't understand things, we can ask God to help guide us in that. And, he, and it always, always, always the Spirit glorifies the name of Jesus. Without the Spirit, this book is ink on paper. But with the Spirit, this book is the wellspring of life. Number five, jolly ranchers don't see right, wrestle. Wrestle. Might be weird that a guy would tell you, hey, wrestle with God and his word. Wrestle with it. What do we do when God's authority challenges our authority? I'm encouraging you to wrestle. This is where Christianity becomes a contact sport. Spiritual collision. Sanctification. The lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. When you're struggling with something that God's word says, bring it to him. Don't just move on and ignore that, ah, I don't understand that. Or, man, that's really hard for me to accept. Go to God with it. Let God's word help you interact with God. This God's word is for knowing God. Let that push you into the way that you pray with him. God is a God who will wrestle with you. Read the Psalms. There's so many of the Psalms. The psalmists are are like, God, I I don't get it, this injustice in the world. They're wrestling with God over the the injustices that they see in the world. Or how about Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel? He wrestled with God all night and he was blessed for it. But don't stop with wrestling. Let wrestling lead you to responding. Let wrestling lead you to responding. In the end, God and his word are still perfect. So wrestle and respond with faith. God, I don't get this. Help me understand. Wrestle, but but Lord, I do trust that you're good and I trust that your word leads to life. It comes down to trust. I don't have to sit here and prove to you that there is such thing as absolute truth. I don't have to sit here and prove to you that uh, relativism has holes in it. All I have to bring up is the question, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Because if you do, if you do trust God, we have to step out in faith at some point. We either trust that God's way leads to life or we trust that our way leads to life. You, You can't have both. Do we trust God's word above all else? I'm challenging us to wrestle with this as we go over sex and then gender and then salvation and the vulnerable. There's going to be some things that are countercultural. 
And if you find this hard to deal with, if you find things scripture that are hard to deal with, you're not alone. Every, every Christian should have to wrestle at some point with the Lord on things. He's not, he's not a God that just wants you to just ignore the things that are hard for you. He wants to feel with you. He made you a human with feelings. He wants you to wrestle with him. He wants you to talk with him and engage with him. That's a real relationship. But also God is with you in this. Uh, Philippians 1.6 uh, says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're not alone. God's with you as well in this walk of understanding God's word and walking in life and whose authority, which authority do I live under? So the five tips of being a student of the word are Jesus, read, delight, spirit, and wrestle. You don't need to know everything about this book to be saved. At this time, um, I'd like to ask the uh, communion service to come up. But uh, you don't need to know everything about this book to be saved. What you do need to know is that the Bible tells a story of our need for Jesus. Our need for Jesus in that we have sin. We're broken and we can't commune with God until our sin is dealt with. The way that sin is dealt with is through death. So Jesus came and lived a perfect life, never sinning, which qualified him to be able to stand in our place and die our death. And the way that we receive that exchange is by professing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord. See, we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. But if that is you, I, I, that, that wrestles with God and maybe hasn't surrendered your authority under God's authority, dude, I'm imploring you to do that. I am imploring you to do that. Don't miss this opportunity to become adopted into God's family and to recognize that. As we go to take communion, we're gonna, we're gonna pray one more song. And I did say pray, I didn't say play. We're gonna pray one more song. And uh, if you came prepared to give, there will be offering boxes in the back. But if you, if you do... Um, choose to to surrender your own authority to God's authority, we would love to pray for you, maybe give you a Bible. And if you just need prayer, we'll have some people in the wings to pray for you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you and thank you for your word. Uh, It is such a blessing to know you and to know that you care for us and that you would want to reveal yourself to us. You don't have to reveal yourself to us, God, but you do and you are good and you love us. Lord, I pray that you might work in our hearts, soften our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.